you might know that we are tracking through uh, John at the moment, sort of on the trajectory, looking ahead, getting excited for, um, for Easter, for Jesus's death and his resurrection. Um, so that is the route we're headed on through John. And today we are going to jump into John 12. And we're going to be thinking a little bit about Jesus and his the prediction that he made uh, to his followers, to his disciples, regarding his own death. We're going to look at predictions as a whole, actually. And what we're going to think about is just how, well, firstly, when you think about uh, predictions, after we've uh, done this, you might begin to spot uh, more and more predictions that Jesus makes uh, throughout John, because it, as it gets closer and closer to his death and resurrection, we start to see Jesus' predictions just like post-it notes throughout the stories um, of Jesus reminding us that he's not just some good guy doing some good stuff, but that he is God, that he's the Messiah, he is divine, and he's making predictions about what is about to happen that are holy and good um, and exciting. So why don't we get stuck into the word? If you want to turn to John 12, if you're not there already, um, we are going to be starting at verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Those who walk in the dark do not know where they're going. Put your trust in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. All right, I pray for us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Come and have your way amongst us. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your death and your resurrection. And Lord, as we spend time in your word, would you come and speak to us? Show us who you are afresh. Help us to know you this evening. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So this story that we've just read, it's not a classic. It's not one of the ones that you did at Sunday school. Well, maybe you did. I didn't. Um, 
but it's an odd one. It's full of odd things. Jesus saying strange things that take a little bit of figuring out and interpretation. Um, so it's Passover. If you remember back to um, Phil's talk last week, Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey and people have cried Hosanna and laid down palm leaves and all of that, all of those shenanigans. Um, and people, it says some Greeks, um, these people would have been God-fearers, a group called the God-fearers who had uh, decided to convert to Judaism. They come and they ask the disciples, what is this Jesus bloke all about? What is he, we've heard he's saying some stuff. Um, He came on this donkey. We want to know a little bit more about who he is. And so um, the disciples refer these God-fearers, the Greeks, to Jesus. Um, And I'm sure they probably weren't expecting Jesus to come out with all of this stuff, predicting the fact that he was going to die and be raised again. Um, So Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he uh, says to God the Father, glorify your name. And God the Father audibly replies, um, affirming his son, saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. You know, there's not many places in scripture where we hear or we see the audible voice of God spoken. So it's like one of those, you know, big red exclamation marks, like pay attention, God is speaking. Um, Jesus explains to those people listening that the voice of God is for their benefit. Um, you know, that they should understand that God is speaking. Um, and that the prediction that he makes, Jesus says, I will be lifted up from the earth, uh, which is a prediction of the way he was going to die. The word in the Greek that says lifted up, not only does it mean glorified, sort of raised to life in God, but it also means um, literally lifted up, physically picked up from the ground and put on the cross. Um, and, and so it's, a, it's an incredible statement for Jesus to be making, not only that he is going to die, but the way in which he's going to die. Um, but despite literally hearing the audible voice of God, still, it says in scripture, many don't believe. And um, John, the writer of this gospel, um, refers back to an Old Testament prophecy saying that uh, from Isaiah, which said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Um, So it's even prophesied, even predicted that people won't believe despite having heard from God. Um, So I wanted to spend some time this evening thinking about predictions and what we understand by that word, what we understand predictions even are. And I sort of, as I've been thinking about it, been thinking that actually the way that we encounter predictions in the world, the way that we make predictions as people, is really, really quite different to the way that we see Jesus making predictions in scripture. Maybe you will agree with me on this. When we make predictions, we tend to base those on previous experiences previous things that we've seen, the ways things have previously gone. Um, sometimes they're based on like past events, sometimes even just on you know, pseudoscience, uh, just trying to make educated guesses, sometimes not so educated guesses. Um, you know, and we kind of live in a world of prediction. We like to make predictions. Um, it always baffles me that on like voting day that we can't just wait for the votes to come in we have to have exit polls to try and predict where it's going to go in the next few hours and um, you know we're obsessed with 
British people, at least some of us here, are obsessed with looking at the weather. We want to know what the weather's going to do in the next hour or two hours, you know, and if it, if it says on your BBC weather app, it's 23% chance of rain and it rains, we're like, what? Um, you know, all that stuff, we're obsessed with making these predictions about the way that things are going to go. Um, but really, these things aren't often based on uh, predictable, reliable things. Sometimes scientifically they are, but often not, especially predictions that we see in the press um, or on our news feeds or uh, on our social media accounts. It's almost impossible, isn't it, for us to discern who is worth trusting in terms of these predictions um, and what predictions we can deem to be worthy and accurate and which ones we should put to one side. And so it leaves us in a bit of a confusing place. Um, this is one a headline from a particular paper, which I won't tell you which paper it is, but you might be able to guess. Um, this is a headline making a prediction. It says this, dramatic surge in untraceable, that's in capitals, clusters of coronavirus cases around the world sparks dire warnings from disease experts that containment methods are not going to work. That's a particularly cheery one. Um, but those are the kind of things that we see all the time, aren't they? Those are predictions that we see all the time. Um, and they're sort of predictable, aren't they? We see them and we think, yeah, you know, maybe that's probably where it's going to go. Um, or maybe we're hopeful people and we think, no, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. But there's always that person, you know, those people, everyone has one of these people at least, um, who says, see, I told you. That's how it's, that I told you that was how it was going to go. And it did. Look, what did I say? Um, all those people who say, everything bad always happens to me. That will definitely happen to me because everything bad always happens to me. And we have these sort of patterns of behavior, don't we? We see a prediction and the outcome is pretty predictable. Um, and often these things are quite easy for us to believe as well. Sometimes they're a bit far-fetched, but often they're sort of based in truth. We kind of think, yeah, probably... Probably economically things are going to be a bit tricky. Probably the environment is a bit screwed up now. Oh, that's a shame. You know, probably politically things aren't going great. You know, it's easy for us to latch on to these headlines, these predictions that are constantly being made. It's easy for us to commit to them and believe them and take them on as truth. We kind of read something once and hold it as true. Um, and lastly, predictions that we make in the world, or predictions particularly in the press, um, tend to be pretty catastrophic, don't they? Pretty dramatic. Um, uh, this same paper that I referred to, which again, I won't say, um, but you may have guessed, uh, you can find, if you Google it, a list of the things that they have said that cause cancer, um, which include being male and being female, um, drinking every day and not drinking at all, um, drinking coffee and not drinking coffee, uh, having children and not having children. Um, there's a huge, massive list of them. I would highly recommend looking it up. It's very amusing. Um, but these are the things that we're being, you know, peddled to us all the time, aren't they? Like a hundred ways to prove that your uh, partner is probably cheating on you. All of that clickbait stuff. Those are predictions that are being forced on us, given to us all the time. And they are dramatic. They're catastrophic. Um, and they're easy for us to believe. Thankfully, I don't think that Jesus makes predictions in this way. Um, and the way that Jesus makes predictions, I think, is something so 
profound and important for us to dig into in the next few minutes. Let's recap on the predictions that Jesus makes in this little passage. So Jesus says, um, that hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So it's time. It's time now, is what he's saying. Um, My Father will honor the one who serves me. Uh, Now is the time for judgment on the world. Um, Now the prince of the world, that means the devil, the enemy, will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, when I'm put on the cross, will draw all people to myself. And it says he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Those are the predictions that Jesus makes in this passage about his death and uh, his resurrection and where things are going. Um, So, in contrast to the way that we make predictions, the way that the world makes predictions, this prediction that Jesus has made is affirmed by God himself in a few different ways. So Jesus predicts his death with this incredible accuracy, not just the, the timing of it, but the method of it. And this prediction that he's made, it's affirmed in, in two ways. Firstly, um, Jesus is reflecting back, like I said before, reflecting back um, to a passage from the Old Testament, a passage from um, scriptures in Isaiah, which says, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Jesus is using that, referring back to Isaiah 52, um, almost as proof of his, uh, of his prediction, you know, saying this is what it said in the Old Testament scriptures, and this is what I am saying today. So he affir- his, his prediction is affirmed by God in that way, um, but also is affirmed by God because God audibly speaks over him, saying that he will be glorified again. You know, if you're looking for backup for a prediction, um, that's a pretty good way to go about it. Have it written in scripture and have God audibly say that it's good. So it's affirmed by God, Jesus' prediction, and yet it's unexpected I said before that our like, worldly predictions often uh, land in a pretty predictable place, in a, pr- in a place that we can sort of see where they're going. But this prediction that Jesus makes, um, it's a strange thing that we see so often in uh, Scripture. We see that um, Jesus says something which to us seems so clear, and yet it seems to leave those who are listening bewildered and confused and not sure. Um, that's a strange thing that tends to happen. Jesus tended to, wherever he went, sort of uh, exceed or uh, not meet up to expectations that people had about him. You know, Phil referred to it last week that um, people were expecting this like military leader, this guy who was going to come in, uh, ride into Jerusalem, take the city back for the people, um, you know, and be this really big, powerful leader. And they hadn't got that idea from nowhere. They got that idea out of a particular interpretation of scripture. And so when Jesus came in this passage that we uh, have just looked at now and said that he was going to die, the people as we read, protested, didn't they? They said, we've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Why are you saying that, I'm, that Jesus is going to, why are you saying that you're going to die when we know that the scriptures say the Messiah is going to live forever? Um, and they'd interpreted from scriptures all over the place, but from a particular scripture in Daniel that said, well, I won't read it directly, but it sort of speaks of 
the Messiah's glory, speaks of his authority and his power. And it says that he has a kingdom of everlasting dominion. And so that had been sort of interpreted in a particular way, but Jesus just turns all of these expectations on their heads all the time. And so with his prediction, he's changing the expectations of all of the people around him who are listening to him and hearing this prediction about what's going to happen to him. And even though this has been audibly spoken by God and spoken by Jesus and affirmed by the um, ancient scriptures, it says later on in the passage that we didn't read, uh, but later on in chapter 12, that the people still didn't believe in him, even after everything that had just happened, even after all of the miracles and signs and things that had just happened. Likelihood is that um, people who had previously just you know, maybe hours ago, shouted Hosanna, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and laid down palm leaves for this Jesus coming in, were now not believing the fact that Jesus had said he was going to die and be raised again. But even that, even their disbelief, is a fulfillment of a prediction that was made in the Old Testament. Like I said before, you know, we read in Isaiah um, that it said that no one was going to believe, even though the word had been spoken. And so in a strange way, People not believing Jesus' prediction is a fulfillment of a prediction. Um, it's a strange, upside-down way to understand things. So different to how we see predictions being made in the world. And, you know, I believe, actually, that um, all of us have encountered prediction in our lives. All of us have encountered personal predictions on our lives all of us have had people speak things over us about the way our lives are going to go, the trajectory that our lives are going to take. You know, maybe somebody has spoken over you um, a particular career path that they think you're probably going to, you know, maybe someone's always said to you um, or said about you, she will be a doctor for sure. Or even, you know, she will go to university or, oh, he will definitely go down that road. Um, maybe that sort of thing has been spoken over you since you were a tiny child. Um, maybe that is a prediction that has been made. Or maybe you have that over your life and you feel like you're not meeting it. And that kills us, doesn't it? When there's been a prediction put on your life and you don't meet up to it and you don't follow that path, that hurts us because we feel as if we're not meeting up to the predictions and the expectations that have been put on us. Or something that's worse is maybe people have made predictions about your life that are not good ones. Maybe people have, people have seen patterns in your family and said, she'll definitely end up like that as well. He's just like his dad. You know, maybe those kind of predictions have been spoken over your life and maybe those predictions have come true. And that is worse. You know, that is a painful thing to happen when it feels as if your story has already been written before you've lived it. And what I wanted to say this evening is that Jesus brings a different kind of prediction to each one of us. Jesus' prediction is not against you. Jesus' prediction of his death and his resurrection is hopeful. It's for you. It draws you in. He says that he's going to be lifted up, and in the same way, he's going to draw people to himself. So we can hold on to all of these uh, catastrophic predictions on our lives, all of these terrible things that are supposedly going to happen. Or we can choose to turn away from those things 
and turn towards Jesus, who makes a hopeful prediction about who he is, what he will do, and what that will achieve for each one of us. In chapter 16, we read Jesus' most important prediction, where he predicts not only that he's going to die, but that he will be raised again to life. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says this in um, verse 16. In a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Uh, Jesus clearly predicts that not only will he die, but that he's going to rise again. And Jesus promises his followers, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And then he says this, and this is something for us to hold on to. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus isn't saying, um, it's okay, don't worry, I'm going to die and be resurrected and then there'll be no more drama, all will be well. Um, He's saying something much more profound than that. He's saying, um, people have spoken things over your life. People have said things about who you are. People have said things about the way that things are going to go for you. But I say something different. I say, I have overcome those things on the cross as I have died and as I have come back to life. And not only can we know that Jesus has come back to life and have relationship with him, but we know that we can die to those things that Jesus, that people have spoken over us. We can die to those pathways that people have set us on, those trajectories that people have set us forward on. We can die to those and we can raise again with Christ in him and follow the path that he has called us into. That He says it's the path of light. You know, so we can turn away from the darkness of those ways that people have said we will go into the light and the love and the hope of Jesus' prediction for us, which is to live a life with him of glory, where we can be raised with him.